Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Fantastic. All right, give me your attention back. Um, If you're a guest with us this morning, if it's your first Sunday or second Sunday, my name's Josh, and uh, along with Dan and the team, and my wife Liz is out with the kids, and Abel and Kira, and a bunch of others, uh, we lead here at at Activate Christchurch, and uh, last Sunday, uh, we talked about uh, what we felt God's plan was for the year. We called it Blueprint uh, 2021. Uh, Some of you may have noticed that I deliberately made a spelling mistake just to see if anyone was paying attention. Uh, which my lovely staff pointed out very caringly and lovingly in our meetings during the week, which was something along the lines of, oh, you made a spelling mistake, ha, 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 You know, and there was, I, was, I was convinced that blueprint was spelt without an E for some reason. I'm sure I Googled it, and it wasn't, so I did, I did all the slides without an E, and so there was all sorts of Googling going on in the staff meeting, and people, oh, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. There's a random... Network, networking company called Blueprint without an E, so maybe that's where I got it from. Um, but what I want to do this morning is just recap that very quickly. But before I do, let me just speak to what happened this morning. You know, we've talked a lot in the last couple of Sundays about how we believe that here at Activate we're called to make disciples, right? We're called to go after the life and the teaching of Jesus until we become living copies of Jesus. And it is impossible to grow in any area without consistently, regularly, Uh, making mistakes, getting things wrong, falling over. Have you ever seen a baby learn to walk? I mean, babies don't just kind of sit there, do nothing for 10, 11 months and then go, I think I might walk today and just get up and go out and grab the paper and come back in. I mean, they get up, they fall down, they get up, they fall down, they get up, they fall down. And every time you see a baby get up and take like one little step and then collapse, you're not like, ah, you suck at walking. (laughs) Worst baby I've ever seen. No, you're like, come on, that was great to go one step, you know, and then mums and dads come in and they're like, oh, guess what, little Jimmy took like three steps and they pull out their video and they show you and you're like, oh, it's so boring. Watching, watching people walk is not entertaining, right, let alone watching other people's babies walk. But my point is that, you know, we celebrate when people make progress, we celebrate growth and one of the issues that you see in, in Christendom and in churches is we're just so freaking terrified to to get something wrong. You cannot ever grow or learn unless you're prepared to get things wrong. Uh, And and what we saw this morning was not anybody getting anything wrong. It wasn't wrong for Jared to get up and say, hey, I think God wants to do some healing this morning. It wasn't wrong for us to pray for healing. It wasn't wrong for people to get prayed for and for the healing not to happen. That happens sometimes. And if anyone on the planet has an answer to why some people get healed sometimes and some people don't, they could just print their own money forever, because no one knows the answer to that question. No one in the history of the world has ever been able to answer why do some people get healed and some people don't. Why do I pray for some people and it works and other times I pray for them and it doesn't? No one knows. But what I want to encourage you in is to just embrace this idea that the only way to grow, like a baby learning to walk, is to get up and fall down, to get up and fall down. So when you get prayed for and someone says, hey, test it and see if it's working, and I know what's going on in your head, because this happens to me all the time. You test it and you're like, oh crap, it's exactly the same. And then someone's looking at you like, did did it work? Did you get healed? And you're like, oh dude, I don't want to let that face down. You know, and so you're like, oh yeah, it's like a, it's like not as bad as it was. And on the inside, you're like, liar, that is exactly the same. I think you made it worse, right? Like, 
And, but we all kind of do this because that's what you're supposed to do in church. If you get prayed for, you're supposed to be like, oh, and then they'll say to you on a scale of one to 10, you know, how good was it before? And you're like, well, it was a four before. And they're like, what is it now? And you're like, well, I've got to say a number higher than four. So it's like a, it's like a six. And then you hope they're like satisfied with six. And then you get really annoying sparrows. They're like, let's pray again. Let's try and get you to, oh man, I was lying about the six to start with. So this, you know, but let's just embrace this idea that it's not my responsibility or whoever prays for you. It's not their responsibility for you to get healed. Like I don't take any credit. I prayed for Pat. If Pat just started springing up around going, I'm healed. I've got the body of a 25 year old and started sprinting around the church. I would not be like, I did that. You know, that was me, my power. I, I did that. So if I'm not going to take any credit for it, then why, if it doesn't happen, am I like, I did that. That was me. The not healing was me. It's not, it's not anybody's job to heal anybody. Like we pray for them and then God moves or God doesn't move. And like I say, why does he sometimes, why does he not? I don't know. Man, who knows? Nobody knows. It's not your job to be healed or not be healed. There's some teaching that went around for a while. Like, you know, you get prayed for, you get healed. It's because you've got faith. If you don't get healed, it's because you don't have faith. And so people feel guilty about it. Forget all of that, right? It's just God. God moves what He wants to, when He wants to, how He wants to. But like Jared said, if we're too scared to even test out whether what we got prayed for is working, then what does it say about us? What does it say about what we actually believe? Who we think God is? I'd love to see a place where you get out the front and I say, hey, I think there's somebody here who's got like a, you know, dislocated knee. Who's that person? And there's no one here and I've got it wrong. And everybody goes, that's awesome that you stepped out, you gave it a shot. But I'll say right now, uh, ooh, will I? I'll say right now, uh, there's somebody here with, no. Um, that's, that's one of the things that I want to grow in this year. You know, we've talked a lot about how if you want to grow, you've got to be prepared to get uncomfortable. When I started leading here, anytime I got out the front with a microphone, I was packing my pants. I'm not even joking. Well, I am joking. I didn't literally do that. <laughs> if you ever see me get out the front and you just sort of like sidle off to the side doors, you know what's going on. But I was, I was so, it was so outside my comfort zone, I'd never done it before. But over the last two years, I've got a little bit more used to it, a little bit more experience. Now I don't get so nervous when I get up the front. And so I'm asking myself the question, if growth and discomfort are kind of the same thing, if you have to get uncomfortable to grow, then what can I do to get back into that space? And so the other day, Liz was just praying for me, my wife, and she just said, oh God, I, I pray that you know, you'll give Josh words of knowledge during the service. And I was like, oh, that would stress me out. Oh, it's one thing to get up the front and say, I think God wants us to worship him. Like, duh, that's, you know, Josh got it right again. It's another thing to get up and say, man, I feel like there's someone over on this side that might, like, that's, you're either right or you're wrong, right? Or else someone is just too scared to, like you say, put their hand up. So I just want to put it out there that that's something that you will see me starting to do as the year goes on because that scares the snot out of me. And, and if I do it and I get it wrong, God is watching me like a little baby walking and he's super pumped, super excited. And we should all have that kind of attitude. You know, when someone comes up and says, can I pray for you? And they pray for you. I had someone pray for me once that I'd, I'd really grow closer in relationship to my dad who died when I was 17. Pretty difficult to do, right? And, uh, and I had to say to him at the end, they're like, was that like close to the mark? I'm like, mm, no, he's been dead like 20 years. They're like, oh, they were like crushed. I was like, no, but it's awesome. Like I celebrate 
that you felt like you had a word from God and you had the guts to actually say it to someone. You know, I've got so many stories where I've given somebody a word and, and halfway through I'm like, oh, this is not right. But we, we tend to get so focused by, we define success and failure based on results. God doesn't define success and failure based on results. He defines success and failure by obedience, right? If God tells you to do something and you do it, you are a winner, you have succeeded, whatever happens as a result of it is not on you. We need to start recognizing that if God says obey and we obey, that's it. That's, that's all that we're asked to do. If God says pray for Abel and I pray for Abel and nothing happens, that's a win. I heard God, I obeyed God. It's up to God what happens next. Does that make sense? So just as we move on as a church, as we start to push into discipleship and you know, as we move on to, particularly later on in the year when we're looking at obedience, there's gonna be a lot of opportunities where you are encouraged to step out of your comfort zone and go and try things. And if you have this mindset that if it works, I'm a winner, and if it doesn't work, I'm a loser, well, you're gonna get crushed very quickly. But if you have the mindset that if I give it a go, if I step out in faith and believe that God's asking me to do this, and I'm not responsible for the result, then you'll last a lot longer in, in life. All right, all good? Okay, do we wanna, can you just hear that angelic? Maybe we'll turn that down, Nathan, because it's making me wanna go to sleep. All right, let me give you a quick recap. If you weren't here last Sunday, this will just take five minutes, but last Sunday we had a Blueprint 2021. I really encourage you to go and listen to the podcast, which is uh, on our website, because they go into a lot more detail with a lot of these things. But just so you're up to uh, speed, because we're about to launch into something new this morning, and I want to why we're talking about it. But I talked uh, last Sunday about the fact that Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, so therefore go and make disciples. And I talked about how I really felt, like this verse on your write-up here about our calling being to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry, that I really felt that here at Activate, one of our mandates, one of our purposes, our main purpose, in fact, is to build disciples, Right, to create a culture, to build an environment where you've got as much opportunity to grow in your relationship with God uh, as possible. Uh, not to look to activate as an institution or an organization that you can kind of just bolt onto and then ride along with, like, well, what's Activate doing? What community stuff is Activate doing? How can I help there? No, to actually discover your own purpose, your own mission, your own ministry. Uh, and our goal is to help you do that as much as possible. So what do disciples look like. We talked about the fact that if you go to Wikipedia, it says that a disciple is someone who actively imitates uh, the master. So in the case of being a disciple of Jesus, we actively imitate. We actively imitate the teaching and the life of Jesus, and we do it, and we do it, and we do it until we literally become a living copy of Jesus. This is a fascinating concept that as you imitate what Jesus did, you start to become more and more like Jesus. As you imitate uh, and follow the teachings of Jesus, that is what transforms you into being more and more like Jesus. Coming to church every Sunday does not make you more like Jesus. Sitting in church on a Sunday morning does not make you more like Jesus. It is imitating the life and the teaching of Jesus that does it. So this is what we're going for. We're going for a whole bunch of many you know, living copies of Jesus Christ running all around Christchurch or New Zealand or the world or wherever it is that we go. So we were, I said, hold up discipleship in one hand. And then I said, how do we do it? Well, Jesus gives us the clue. He says, you go and you make disciples of all nations and you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. So we've got a baptism Sunday coming up in two Sundays time. Really encourage you to be there. If you haven't ever been baptized in water, so I don't mean dedicated as a baby. I mean like, you know, when you're a kid and your parents say, look, we're gonna raise up little Josh and the way that he should go and, and maybe the, the, the minister or the priest or wherever it is that you were in church when you were born kind of prays for you. That's not baptism. That's your parents dedicating you to God. It's like what uh, Hannah did to Samuel. It's what Jesus' parents did to him when he was born. Baptism is you as a, a mature person. doesn't matter what age you are. You could be an adult. You could be a teenager. You could be, you know, nine or ten, whatever. But you are of an age where you understand the decision that you're making, and you want to make a public declaration of your faith. That is baptism. And I don't understand how this works, but for some reason, it is a really big deal to God. Jesus got baptized. And the moment he came out of the water, his ministry started. Uh, you know, Philip was hanging down the road one day and a eunuch came past reading his Bible. And at the end of the conversation, they're like, let's get you baptized. Baptism is such a big deal to God that Jesus says it's the first step to making disciples. So if you haven't been baptized and you'd like some more information about it, then come and see me afterwards uh, because it's a big ocean where we're going to be baptizing people and it's not like we're going to run out of water. So... You know, we can, do, we can go all day, baby, if we want to, uh, right? So baptize them and then teach them to obey. And so we talked about the fact that if you want to make a disciple, that really it's all about obedience, that obedience is the goal. It's not about getting people to church. It's not about getting our lives looking good from the outside in. It is about, are you doing what God's telling you to do? Are you living a life that is obedient to the teachings of Jesus Christ? And if you're someone that says, look, I struggle to hear the voice of God. I don't know what Jesus is telling me to do. Fantastically, he wrote it all down in a book that you can read. And he tells you what to do in the book. So just start there. I mean, the Bible is filled with teachings of Jesus about how to treat people, how to live, what to do here, what to do there. So obedience is the goal. And I talked uh, about a Bible verse that God gave me towards the end of last year, 2 Chronicles 7.14, where God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, uh, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. And just over a, a couple of months, God unpacked me the four things that he was asking us to do. And that it was, uh, you know, to humble themselves, so humility, to pray, so prayer, uh, to seek my face, which talks about intimacy. It's not going after God because of what he can do for us, because of how he can bless us. We're not going after his hands, we're going after his face. And then turning from our wicked ways talks about obedience. Because essentially, anytime you are doing something in disobedience to God, anytime you say, God, I know better than you do, that is by definition you know, a wicked way. It's a way that you're going that has no God in it. And so these are the four things that we were going to focus on. And I talked about how obedience is the goal, but obedience comes from a place of intimacy. It takes a lot of courage to be obedient to God. It takes a lot of strength and conviction. And that comes from a place of intimacy and how that place of intimacy is built upon a life of prayer. And we'll talk about what prayer means because most of us have got a very narrow definition and understanding of what we think prayer is which involves getting down on our knees and sitting beside our bed and crossing our hands like this and giving God a shopping list. That's, that's just one very, very small way that you can pray. There's lots of amazing ways that you can connect with God in prayer. Uh, and that prayer starts with humility. And so I talked about how we were going to dig four wells this year, spiritually speaking. We're gonna start with humility, go on to prayer, then intimacy and then obedience. And then I gave everybody a glass. So if you weren't here last Sunday, 
uh, and you would like a glass, we have plenty of glasses still to go. So come and see me afterwards and say, I want my cup. And then you'll get it. And the idea is that every time you drink water out of it, which is like water from a well, you go, ah, yes, that's right, we're digging a well at church. Uh, it's not dishwasher safe, so don't put it in the dishwasher, um, just so you know. Otherwise, it'll rub off, and you'll end up with like thinking we're digging wells of hum and pra and intim and stuff like that. All right, so that's, that's, why, that's how we ended up here, which is humility. So just give me 10 minutes. That's, that's all I need for, for this morning. Uh, and my goal this morning, before we break into uh, communion, which Josh Weir is going to lead us in this morning, we'll finish off with communion this morning. It's Josh's first time. You can give him a round of applause. It's all right. There's like awkward. There you go. Best they do that now than at the end, because they're supposed to be supposed to be focusing on Jesus later on. So, but that's all right. We, God's happy to share the limelight every now and again. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure this morning, I've got one, one goal, and that is to make sure that when we start digging, metaphorically, that we're all digging in the same place. Otherwise, if we've got different understandings around what humility is, how humility works, then at the end of our humility season, which is at the end of March, we'll just have a whole bunch of holes all around church. And what I want is a well, like a one well that we're all digging together. So if you pick up your spiritual shovels, I'm going to point at the ground that we're all going to start digging at, which is like, where do we, where do we start? What is the starting point for humility? And the truth is, there's probably half a dozen or more different answers that we could have thrown out here, but I've picked one that I said, hey, look, this is where we're going to start as a church. You know, in case you're asking, look, why, why is humility such a big deal? Uh, the Bible says in James that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is a terrifying verse. Can you imagine what it would be like to have the creator of the universe, this is the most powerful being in existence, we can't even comprehend the power that God carries. He lives outside time. We don't even understand that. The Bible says the universe fits in the palm of his hand. All of mankind, with all of our knowledge, all of our revelation, man, we don't even understand a, a fragment of the majesty of God, and yet the Bible says that if you're carrying pride in your life, not only is he not going to help you, he is actively working against you. If that thought doesn't terrify you, then nothing will. He's not just neutral. He says, if you've got pride in your life, if you're a proud person, I am literally working against you. I am opposed to what you're trying to achieve. I wonder sometimes how many things I've tried to do in my life that just haven't got off the ground, haven't worked, haven't flown, and it's because God said, well, I was, I was against that because of the pride that you were carrying in your heart. But the good news is that he gives grace to the humble. And I love this Bible verse, right? It says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord, because both those two things go hand in hand, you can't have one without the other, is riches and honor and life. Sign me up, baby. I would like all three. Thank you. All right, so what is the starting point uh, for humility? Uh, it's an interesting thing. When Jesus taught on the Sermon of the Mount, which is his most famous sermon, you'll notice that anytime he teaches anything, he first takes a moment to just unteach what people already thought they knew. So when he taught about prayer, he said, this is how you pray, guys. And then he taught them the Lord's Prayer and he walked them through how to pray. But before he did that, he said, before I teach you on this, let's talk about how not to pray. This is how you don't pray. The example that you've been set by your religious leaders is whacked out. You guys have got a terrible idea, a terrible concept of what prayer is. So he had to deconstruct their idea of prayer before he taught on prayer. 
He did the same with fasting. He said, you've got a messed up idea about fasting. You're all over the place. This is not how you fast, not why you fast. So he had to deconstruct that before he built up fasting. Did the same with giving. In fact, all through the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, you have heard it said, and then he explains to them what their current understanding is, and then says, but that's not right. This is what I say. Uh, You have to deconstruct before you can build on. So before we have a look at the starting point for humility, I just wanted to take a second to pull something down, and that is this idea that the vast majority of Western world has, which is that humility is just thinking less of yourself. Most of us understand that pride is thinking too much of yourself. But I wonder sometimes if we uh, fail to recognize that thinking less of yourself is not a sign of humility. It is actually just another sign of pride. I heard this teaching once uh, years ago, and I just found it fascinating. And the guy talked about the fact that he said, imagine pride is a stick. And at the one end, you've got an overinflated opinion of yourself. And at the other end, you've got an underinflated opinion of yourself. He said, they're both just different manifestations of the same issue, which is pride. And we as human beings, we all easily recognize one and we hardly ever recognize the other. Imagine, for example, that Abel came into church this morning and we could all understand what was going on in his brain. We're all in a movie called What Abel Wants. And, and we could hear his thoughts, right? Like a toaster fell into our bath, and now we can hear his thoughts. And he walks in, and we all hear him walk in and go, man, I'm so awesome. I'm like six foot four, like the tallest guy here, except for Dan. But I'm bigger than him. I play guitar, I'm so great at guitar, and I reckon all the guys here want to be me, all the girls want to be with me. He says, I, I know they're all, they're all there singing Jesus, but on the inside they're like, Abel. That's what he's thinking, you know. I, I bet that when I'm not here, everybody just thinks about me all the time. I bet everybody just loves me. Like if we heard Abel say that, how many of us would go, that's pride. Man, I recognize that. That is not a hard thing to pick out. That guy's got some issues, right? But now imagine that, that Jared walked in and now we're in a movie called What Jared Wants. And we hear Jared walk in, and he goes, oh, man, I'm such a loser. Nobody likes me. I've got this wrong with me physically, and this wrong with me physically, and this wrong with me physically. I can't play guitar like Abel. You know, I'm not nearly as good looking as my brother. Or as funny. You know, I just, I bet you, I bet you everybody talks about me all the time about how much they don't like me. But yeah, but yeah, none of the guys wish they were me and none of the girls wish they were with me. <laughs> stop, stop. Yep. I, 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 bet, I bet everybody just hates me. Now, if we all heard Jared say that, how many of us would go, that guy has got a pride issue? Wouldn't occur to any of us, would it? None of us would hear that and go, that's pride. But pride is, in essence, an obsession with self. That is what pride is. Pride is you're the first person you think of when you get up. You're the last person you think of when you go to sleep. The whole universe revolves around you. Everything that happens in your life, you're running through the filter of how does this affect me? Your favorite radio station is WIIFM. What's in it for me? So when Abel walks in and he's got all that stuff going through his head, who is he obsessed with? Himself. When Jared walks in and he's got all that stuff going through his head, who is he obsessed with? Himself. Everything that's happening around him, he's running through the, how does this affect me? What do they think about me? People are talking about me. No one likes me. 
The common denominator between the two situations is me, 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 I, 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 I. Both pride, just at opposite ends of the spectrum. So let's just knock that on the head right now, that humility is not thinking less of yourself. I don't want anyone to go out of here this morning and just be like, well, I thought I was cool, but Josh has just convinced me that we're all losers. <laughs> like, that's, that's not what I want. And can I also just say that I had to really think hard about who to pick for that example, and I went with Jared because any other person I thought of, I'm like, that's just mean, right? But... <clears throat> I thought Jared could handle it. And I also know that Jared's got a very healthy opinion of himself, so it's not going to bother. But did you also notice that when I said, like, I don't have this physical thing, I don't have this physical thing, I didn't name anything because I thought that could, you know, maybe something could get in your skin there. and I couldn't find anything. Yeah. yeah. So you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. You know, one of the starting points, and this isn't what we'll talk about this morning, but one of the starting points, I looked at this, is that humility is, I think, it is when we see ourselves the way God sees us. When we, when we bring our opinions of ourselves into alignment and agreement with what God says about us, that is actually one of the greatest uh, manifestations of humility. You know, all you've got to do is just Google what the Bible says, you know, Bible verses about me, about what God says about us. You know, David says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul says that we are his workmanship, that we are literally adopted by him, we're chosen by him, that we are sons and daughters of God, that we are kings and queens on this planet. John says that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Well, actually, it was Jesus that said it, but John records it. Loved us so much that he died on the cross. And you read all this stuff and you're like, yeah, man. Man, I am awesome. And then Jesus, the guy that died on the cross, says to us that if you try and do anything without him, you will fail. It's this tension between two points that God asks us to carry, which is that you are a king, you're a queen, you're a son, you're a daughter. You're created in the image of God. You are destined to reign and to rule. And at the same time, if you try and do anything outside of a relationship with God, you can't. So you're awesome, but without God, nothing. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will be a much fruit. And then he says seven words which should give us all pause to consider. He says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is our starting point this morning. I'll get the band to jump up because I'm pretty much done. But our starting point for humility in this place is to understand and recognize that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. You know, for a long time in my life, I read this Bible verse and I thought that I believed it, but I didn't. I rewrote it in my head. In my mind, it went something along the lines of, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do some things. That was how I always lived my life. I was like, yeah, God, God makes me awesome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But even without God, like I'm, I'm all right. Like I got some, some talent, some ability. Got married, had kids, and... If I'd been completely honest with you, in an unguarded moment, I would have said, I think I'm doing pretty well in life. Even without God, I think I would be, you know, winning. 
And then I went through a season in my life, which I've shared in part before. It was not a fun season where God just stripped away so much of what I thought was important. Stripped away work, stripped away income, stripped away friends, stripped away church, just stripped away everything. And I remember coming to this place where I recognized that I can't even make my heart beat. Can you? You're breathing right now. Are you doing that? Everyone that's hearing my voice, are you working the mechanisms in your ears to hear what's going on right now? Or has God blessed you with hearing? Ever since the day you were born, your heart has beaten every second, every minute of every day, and you had nothing to do with that. I used to think, you know, well, yeah, but I've, I've put in a lot of work. I'm a, some of you might not know, I'm a classically trained pianist. Spent years studying piano. Spent hours and hours and hours, thousands of hours, learning how to play piano. And the old me would have said, "That's I did that. I should get some credit for that. But eventually I realized, you know what? I can only do that because I can do this. I have, this is, I didn't do this. I have an ear for music. I didn't give myself that. I had parents who paid for piano lessons. I didn't do that. I was born in a time and in a country where it was an option to go and just study piano from an old lady around the road. I didn't do that. I wonder how much of us, if we're honest with ourselves, how much of our life we actually think I did that. That was me. I've had so many conversations with people when we talk about giving financially and this and that, and they'll say, yeah, but that's, I earned that. That's, I earned it. Like, yeah, but you earned it using all the gifts and talents and abilities and opportunities that God has given you. Now, the starting point for us this morning, this well that we're going to dig, it starts with us recognizing that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. We have nothing. We are nothing. I wonder sometimes how often we take that verse seriously. Imagine if we believed that verse. I wonder how many times in my life I have even just got up and done my day and tried to do my whole day without God. Got up, ah, oh, read my Bible later. Oh, I've got too much, too many, too many church meetings on today to pray. Go through my whole day. And Jesus is like, dude, it's literally written in red in your Bible that if I'm not a part of it, you can't achieve anything. I want to challenge us this morning. I'm going to get Josh to come up and lead us in communion. We're going to take uh, some time to just contemplate as we take communion this morning. And Josh will talk to us about the new covenant and what that means for us. But in that space, can I ask you and encourage you to just have a chat with God about an area in your life that he wants to highlight where maybe you've said to him, ah, I'll do this bit by myself. Understanding that we can't do anything without him. And not only that, but he actively works against and opposes the pride and the prideful. That is not a place that I would ever want to find myself on the wrong side of God with him saying, I'm, I'm working against this.